and welcome to the Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about the transition from VAR to software developer with two special guests. Danny Hernandez is the CEO of Global Business Technologies in Mission, Texas on the US-Mexico border. Danny founded the company in 1998 and has morphed his business model several times since then, operating as a sole proprietor ISO in the payments world, a value-added reseller, and today as an ISV, independent software vendor, for those of you not up on uh, the acronyms. Global business targets mostly the grocery and C-store verticals, while also serving retail and quick service restaurants. Hey, Danny, thanks for your time today. Hello, thanks for the invite, Jim. I really appreciate it. No, no, pleasure to cross paths with you again. Our second special guest is Brett Bennett, the president and co-founder of VAR Positive Technology and ISV OpSuite. Positive was established in 1998 to serve the retail market and is known today as one of the leading retail resellers in North America. OpSuite was launched in 2009 as a cloud-based business management software for the retail and franchise retail industries. Hey, Brett, great to talk with you again. Hey, Jim. Hey, Danny. Looking forward to it. Hey, Brett. Wonderful. Me too. And before we get to our questions, our audience might be wondering why we're featuring two guests instead of a more traditional one-on-one interview for podcasts. So for those of you new to the pod, here's why. The biggest strength of the RSPA is the community and the partnerships that can be forged sometimes where you least expect them. So that's what we're going to do on many episodes of The Trusted Advisor. We're going to show the RSPA community in action by having guests share their unique perspectives and see where the conversation takes us. So that's what happens every day among RSP members, and we thought it'd be interesting to share that with you. All right, let's rock and roll. So, gentlemen, I gave very brief backgrounds on your organization's at the outset. And so uh, if you can each go deeper and share with us some more detailed account of how your company morphed from the reseller business model to now developing, marketing, and selling your own software. And you know, this is, you know, from experience, this is far more complex than just a VAR adding another product line uh, or a small business, you know, just keeping up with the time. So Danny, first, can you talk about your VAR to ISV path, please? Uh, what we I guess what really, really uh, started uh, uh, the the whole thinking process of developing our software is opportunity. There was a big opportunity here in Texas uh, in the grocery space uh, where um, essentially the state went from a voucher-based system to an EBT card, the smart card-based system. Um, and uh, that was for the WIC program, the Women, Infant, and Children, which is available in all 50 states. Um, so there was huge opportunity there. Everybody, uh, all the stores that were accepting WIC vouchers essentially had to uh, get a POS system that can read that state-issued card. Um, and so we we're very limited in options at that time. I, I believe, I want to say there was five or six software vendors. And out of those five or six vendors, uh, maybe four were corporate, you know, for Walmart and all the larger retail stores. So there was really only like two independent software uh, uh, vendors that we had access to. Um, and that's really what started the, 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 the whole idea of developing our own software. Uh, and then it kind of just evolved from there. We've been in the grocery space for so long now and uh, servicing over 2,200 locations all across Texas. 
um, it just it was just natural for us to to go to go in that in that direction. Got it. And can you share with us how many employees do you have now, and then how many of them are developers? Well, we have uh, nine employees um, and a couple of part-time. So we have nine full-time employees. One is a full-time developer, and we do work with a couple of contractors that help us in, uh, throughout the development process. Got it. Okay. And then do you operate your ISV as a separate business, or is it all bundled together under global? Like, is it the same uh, business that you have? Yeah. Uh, currently, we have it set up where it's running under global. Um, but uh, as uh, the distribution channel grows, then we're, we're definitely going to be separating it uh, very soon, actually. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you. Brett, can you share with us your path from positive as a VAR to then adding OpSuite and uh, what your business looks like today? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so uh, this year, actually, we, we celebrated our, um, our 20th year in business as positive technology and uh, it was about 10 years ago that um, after being a, a kind of a traditional VAR for 10 years we started seeing you know some kind of changes in the market changes in the POS world um, at least things that we thought would start to happen and so we started to think that we really need to diversify you know kind of put ourselves in a little better position to survive what what we thought was going to be coming around the corner. Um, so at that time, we actually approached a couple of our larger customers. Um, both of them had uh, actually over 100 stores each. And um, we kind of approached them with an idea of uh, a new product, a new um, retail backend, if you will, that would be cloud-based. And, uh, you know, in 2009, that was um, that was pretty bold, especially for the retail, you know, world. And um, but we, were, we felt confident in it. And so we approached these customers and they actually agreed to partner with us, um, kind of help fund the project along with some, you know, al along the way we would give them some uh, some benefits as well. Uh, not only that, they would have input on the product but also some price discounts once the product uh, came available. Um, at the same time, we felt like the traditional selling model of, you know, sell something, get the payment up front and go sell something else was, was starting to get a little long in the tooth. So we, we wanted to also transition to a subscription selling model. So we were biting off a lot <laughs> at one time. Uh, but we felt it was the right thing to do. So we spent about a year, maybe 18 months, coming up with our first version of our solution, uh, which was really a full retail back office, uh, everything that you need to run on the back end. And we connected to various uh, points of sale on the front end. So we were still a VAR from that standpoint. Um, and... Uh, then we, we went ahead and installed in these two partner customers of ours, um, gave them a greatly reduced monthly price, uh, and really started, you know, finding out how different being a developer can be because now we had all this responsibility of uh, quality control and um, new versions and, you know, things like that. So um, it was it was a, a good learning experience. Um, so that at that point, we spent the next couple of years kind of honing things, coming out with a, a few new versions, um, and we came out with a new point of sale module for our, our solution as well, and then spent a couple of years again, you know, kind of honing it, 
transitioning to a full subscription model uh, to where today we are 100% subscription model uh, or SaaS, if you will. And um, we even include the hardware and, and uh, services into to the mix. So it took us about 10 years to, to transition completely uh, from a traditional VAR with traditional sales model to a combined ISV VAR with a full subscription uh, selling model. Got it. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. And how many employees do you have now and how many of them are developers? And I guess also that same thing, do you operate um, you know, uh, Positive and OpSuite as separate businesses or are they all one together? Yeah, so that's an interesting, uh, a good question. So we're we're currently about 45 employees. Um, we have um, eight eight developers, um, and they're split between our back office and our front office. And then I kind of mix in with them uh, our house of six uh, QA um, because QA teams are actually developers today, and they write almost as much code as our our other developers. So we kind of include those in the mix. Uh, and we had uh, we had been operating separately, um, Positive and OpSuite, um, but last year we actually combined the two back together, and everything's running under um, Positive Technology now uh, for various reasons, but it's turned out very, very, uh, very, very well. Uh, do you mind sharing with us the various reasons? I mean, if it's private, confidential stuff, I don't need to, you know, get into that. I'm just curious from a business standpoint for our listeners, if they're thinking sure. about separating or not separating it. Well, we we originally separated for um, thinking that we would have a big VAR channel to work with on the OpSuite side um, because we wanted to, you know, open that up and sell through a, a large channel. That hasn't necessarily been the case. Um, and uh, so, so that reason was kind of um, out of the way. And then our um, trusty advisors on our accounting side um, have have basically said, this is, you know, the model to go with is, you know, S-Corp, bring everything together and, and roll with it. And so tax reasons and various others as well. So, um, so we made that change. Got it. Okay, well, thank you for that. And uh, Danny, Brett brought up, uh, he said, it's different. And so I feel like, you know, this is the old Johnny Carson thing. It's really different. The crowd says, how different is it? So that's what <laughs> I guess my question is for you, Danny. How different is it now that you have the ISV component compared to when you had the, you know, you still have the VAR component and then also compared to that ISO component because you've seen that whole spectrum. So what are the differences that you're experiencing managing the business now uh, with the ISV component? Well, one of the key points that I forgot to mention right now is this is actually our second attempt. Uh, so our first attempt was back in 2010, but I think I just, the mindset is, is quite different. Uh, just being involved with the whole workflow of development is different than being a bar. So I think uh, during that period of time, I did learn a lot that initial investment that we did on that, on that first attempt was a big, big learning curve. We went back to the drawing board uh, essentially, and came up with documentation. We were able to document about 400 pages between wireframes and uh, of, uh, function sets that we needed in the software. And I think that's really what uh, helped the second attempt to really uh, go out, uh, start the development smoothly, and uh, to make it more successful. Is that time that we put in into all the documentation? 
Got it. And so uh, th that's my next question was going to be, you know, looking back on your transformation, what'd you do well? What would you have done differently? Uh, what did you not do right besides that documentation the first time? Was it just not enough research? Was it you just didn't understand it? Was it bad timing because 10 years ago the economy uh, was was in a much different uh, shape than it is right now? What were some of the factors that you look back if you were going to hit it right the first time you did it? What things would you have done differently beyond the documentation? I think it is important uh, as an ISV is to really uh, put a lot of focus in that one vertical versus trying to just cover everything. Um, so that's one of the things that we're definitely doing differently now is uh, essentially we're just focusing the grocery space. Um, and so uh, as an ISV or, or I'm sorry, as a bar, we just didn't see that uh, the importance of, of having a developer just develop that, that key functionality for our end user. And so um, that really helped. Uh, once we became part of the development process, it was uh, it is essential to just stay stay as focused as possible on on that vertical. Got it. I guess Brett, do you? I'll ask you the same question. But before that, I'm curious. Do you see it the same way as Danny from an ISV standpoint? I mean, even though as a VAR, you've been laser focused on retail, is that I guess a, a thing for our listeners, if they are going to make the transition from VAR to ISV, they really have to focus on a niche aspect of that ISV to be successful. Do you see it the same way? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> you almost can't put enough emphasis on that because, you know, we, we've been in business now, this is going on our 21st year and there's always these little temptations, right, that are out there and they're like, oh, look at me, I can get you, you know, this amount of money right now if you just do this. It never works out that way. You always lose money. It's, it, you need to focus. Focus is so key and it has to be laser focus. Laser, uh, right on, on, on point. And so I guess, can you give an example of how you laser focus today? Is it just on that vertical? I guess, or what are the, the building blocks that, that go into that to make sure that you're laser focused? Yeah, for us, uh, you know, in retail, um, and we, we have some specific areas of retail that we, we focus on, of course, specialty retail, but we do a lot of sports memorabilia, sports arenas, um, you know, things like that. And, and then we have some offshoots of that, but they're all in that same a line of very specialty type retailers um, that that offer a, a certain uh, product mix, and so so we focus on that. And you know, m my partner and I we we talk about strategy and where we're going next. And anytime either one of us even mentions you know stepping off that line a little bit, it's just kind of you know a little smack from the other saying no, you know we're not going to do that. And you know we keep each other on track. By, by literally just kind of giving each other a little tap and, and don't forget where we're going. So it, it and it's a, a weekly thing, right? We, cause there's always something that could, oh, well, this is right there. We, we've got it within our grasp, so. Got it, yeah, the ooh shiny, it'll, it'll distract you from- Ooh shiny. From <laughs> standpoint. Um, yeah. And then Brett, can you continue, uh, you know, you mentioned about, you know, the uh, intellectual property that you have and rolling that out. Can you talk about how important that is to you and your partner, Mike Nicholson, from a business valuation standpoint? You know, at some point you're going to sell the business or hand it off, right? Like mother time is undefeated in terms of uh, people leading businesses. And then can you also talk about the importance of having your own intellectual property from a survivability 
standpoint, like helping you stand apart from your competition today? Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, we've been around a little while. Um, there's been, there's a lot of our peers that have been around longer and some that haven't, but you know, during that time, you know, every, at least every year, you kind of look at your business and you say, you know, what are we worth? What are we doing? You know, what's, what, are, what's coming for the future? What am I leaving for my children or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, 10 years ago, we had no clue, right? Um, you, you look at it and as a, as a pure VAR, um, it's what can you sell next? Um, and, you know, of course, if you're, if you transition into a, you know, more of a subscription type seller, that, that changes quite a bit because you have something a little more tangible. But we really, you know, 10 years ago, we really wanted to do two things. One, we wanted to become more independent, you know, be able to do things that we knew were right for the market. We felt like we could see what was coming or at least what the trend was, was going to change to. Uh, so we wanted to be independent enough to get there. Uh, because we didn't feel like anyone else was was getting there. So uh, independence. And then number two, we wanted to build something tangible, something tangible that we could put a value on. And um, and that's why we decided at that point, you know, we're going to build our own products and we're going to change to a, a subscription-based model. Those two things combined, I believe, um, are that tangible piece that allow us to go out and pretty easily say, here's what it is. And anyone interested could say, all right, it's going to be four X or five X or what, you know, whatever it happens to be, there's your, there's your number and, and away you go. So we feel a lot more comfortable with that uh, today. Um, not that it's easy because there were a lot of, you know, roadblocks, obstacles and, you know, things you have to climb over and, and, uh, but, but definitely worth it. Got it. So, Danny, can you take that uh, question as well? And we're talking about the intellectual property is something that you have and something that you own, how important that is to your business. And because as a VAR, you really have those relationships and your reputation, which is valuable, but a different different kind of thing. Uh, how does the IP help you from the long term and, and the short term standing apart from the competition, Danny? Well, just like Brett mentioned, I think it, it really gives us back control of our destiny. We, we, we get to decide where we're going versus having an ISV dictate that um, and or an ISO for that matter with everything going on right now. Um, but uh, I think that's really what um, what uh, the decision that we made that's really helped us and, and we're able to now plan long-term going with the SaaS model now. Uh, I would say we're not fully transitioned over. Uh, I know Brett mentioned he was 100%, but we're probably at about 80, 85% right now. And um, uh, uh, Converting over to SaaS was huge for us, and uh, we did start the transition over back in the when RSBA. I remember uh, uh, attending the the conference in 2010 or so, where it, they were really pushing that on us. Uh, I did come in a little bit late in the game. I, I, I want to say we started the transition in 2016, but honestly, that was the best thing that we can do because uh, that reoccurring revenue just changes everything for us. Um, and, but uh, going back to the intellectual property, yeah, having our code, uh, being able to take those opportunities that maybe we couldn't approach uh, because of the software solutions that we had available to us, uh, now we're able to take on these opportunities. Uh, so can you detail that for us? Like how does it open up more opportunities for you? Uh, 
just uh, as an example, we've partnered up with a local distributor, uh, vendor for a lot of the independent grocery stores. And so we're able to exchange data with them. Uh, we're able to update our, our um, end users' costs, retail prices, inventory quantities automatically using an EDI interface. Um, because it is a regional distributor, it would be very unlikely that an ISB would do that development because it is time consuming. But uh, at the same time, it allows our end user to have that functionality that they can't get anywhere else. So it fills that niche uh, and it makes those, uh, those accounts uh, uh, stick with, with the software solution because of all the time that they're saving. It was like you read my mind. I was going to say that sounds like it's super sticky. Like it would be hard for them to boot you from a relationship because they'd have to take out their backbone. Right. And uh, so we, we did the, the local vendor distribution uh, module. Uh, the other thing that we also did was uh, DEX, which is a, it's a variety of EDI. So DEX is what a lot of the DSD drivers, uh, they carry the handhelds and they're essentially unloading the packaging from, the, from their uh, trucks. Well, now we're able to interface to those handhelds. So it will uh, send the uh, invoice electronically to the POS back office. Um, and so we're able to adjust inventory quantities, returns, damaged goods, uh, we adjust costs, and if there's any promotional pricing that's date-based, we get that information through, through DEX as well. So that's another, function, uh, another feature that we offer our clients that no one else is, or it's going to be very hard to come by, unless it's a large retailer, you know, with, uh, with uh, hundreds of locations. Got it. Very interesting. I'll just make two points here. One is it's really interesting that you're both thrilled that you're on the, you're both thrilled you have your own intellectual property and you're on the recurring revenue business model. But Danny, you said yours was more opportunistic, right? Where you saw a niche to fill and then went down this path and Brett, yours was more strategic. And it's almost like it doesn't matter where you start, but as long as you get there, right? To have that intellectual property and that recurring revenue. I guess if either one of, one of you wants to comment on that am I reading that accurately like doesn't matter what your reasons are behind it but going down that path is going to be better for your business better for your customer relationships absolutely I in fact one of the um, the things that uh, I was thinking of just the other day is that you know if somebody were, were coming to get advice on you know should you do this you know what's your last 10 years been like well you know absolutely move forward as quickly as you can but but do it with caution. But the great thing is uh, today, which I, I I had some resources back then, but not as many as there's available today. I mean, today, uh, just looking at the RSPA itself, you know, there's members, there's advisors, there's people who've already gone through this and can give advice on, you know, where where should we go? How should we start? Um, what, what direction should we head? Um, those are all you know, things that are available to be answered. So um, I think the now above any other time is the right time to do it. Yeah, and that's a great point. I remember being at an RSPA. This is an Inspire conference and it was a vendor working group uh, was a committee that used to have meeting there talking about the recurring revenue business model. The vendors in the room were saying, well, who's going to own the hardware? Who's going to own the software? Like they didn't have those fundamental things figured out. And we said, whoever figures that out is going to be a hero and is going to make a lot of money. And what you're saying, Brett, is in 2020, those things have been figured out. 
Uh, Absolutely. You know, there's no doubt about it. So there are, there are resources. Uh, and Danny, let me get your take on another observation I had as uh, you and Brett were talking. I wrote down VAR equals busy, but busy doesn't necessarily equal valuable. So I guess, can you talk about that in terms of, I mean, you're super busy having both the, you know, the ISO, VAR, and ISV. Can you talk about, I guess, do you believe that that's true, that a lot of times resellers are thinking, I'm really busy getting stuff done. I don't have time to do that intellectual property thing, whether it's a, a backbone or whether it's an add-on. Uh, can you talk about that, how it's worth carving out some time to invest to make yourself more valuable? What's your take on that? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's uh, it's just like anything else. You know, you spend that extra hour reading, learning something new. It's the same thing, and that's how it started with us. Is is that uh, um, I was documenting. I was whenever I would see a feature on a maybe a video, uh, um, anything like that, I would document it. And to this day, I still do. Um, and so that really. Um, uh, putting in the time is really, really important. It does take time. I mean, especially you're essentially splitting your your, your day in, into uh, two different uh, two different things. And being a small business, uh, uh, you definitely have to put in those extra hours to to get that done. Uh, but it's for me, it's very fulfilling. I mean, we see that intellectual property growing day in day out. Um, we don't have a distribution channel at the moment, so it's all internal distribution. But uh, we like the fact that we do have that that control. Got it. Very good. Uh, before we take a quick commercial break, I'll ask uh, each of you, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing today as an ISV that has a VAR component? I guess, Brett, if you can take that first. Well, uh, for us personally, you know, we've we've always been involved in the a reseller channel of, yeah, in fact, usually a bunch of reseller, different reseller channels. And so as we transitioned into our own intellectual property, as well as, you know, the, the more SaaS model, the more subscription-based model, um, we wanted to try and, you know, kind of create that same opportunity by creating a channel of our own, you know, a, a reseller channel. The challenges that we faced and ha and still face is that, you know, the traditional VAR still kind of needs to rely on that bigger kind of payout at the end of the sale that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, that payout is over two years or three years, depending on, you know, the deal. Uh, it includes hardware, software, so there's not this big payout. And so we haven't been able to come up with a good model to offer our reseller channel in order to, to take that step, which we still want to do. So that is definitely a challenge for us, um, uh, a challenge that we're meeting, you know, by our own sales teams and things like that, which works great. You know, as Danny said, you know, we love that control. We know that we can take care of the customer. We know we can keep that customer forever. But, you know, it kind of limits us on our our breadth, you know, where we can go. So that is a challenge, um, one that we're continually working on. And what's the solution to that? Like if you had a magic wand, is it that the VARs would be better financed? Like, is that what it is? It's just a cash flow issue for them? I guess, what is the obstacle that uh, has been difficult to either get over, get under, get around, get through, yeah. whatever, uh, you know, preposition you want to put in there? Sure. I, I, I guess it is, you know, just like, 
the challenge we faced in in making that transition to you know from traditional to a subscription they faced the same thing um and those that have been willing to do it are usually also ISVs, you know, or, you know, they've done something similar um, or they've been gulped up by somebody else that, that, um, and they work for somebody. Um, it would be wonderful to find some of those entrepreneurial types that will take that challenge and, and at least do some of their business in this model. And as they do, of course, over time, it becomes a huge uh, windfall because, you know, now you wake up on the first of the month and you're paid. Uh, you know, it's, it takes a while to get there, but you're paid. And um, so that's what we're looking for is some that will will take that challenge. Got it. Thank you. And Danny, uh, what's the biggest challenge uh, that you're facing now is that dual VAR ISV? Well, um, I've been giving that a lot of thought. Are, are we going to go with a, a, a dealer channel or are we going to keep it in-house and, and focus on the growth in-house? Um, so I think that's the biggest challenge and that's the challenge that we're, we're facing really this year. Um, and uh, challenges are good, you know, it's good, it's good to, to kind of have these different options, I guess, and, and figure out what's the best option. But uh, one of the things I think, uh, going back to resources and everything that Brett mentioned right now is, one of the ways that we were able to start our development was actually becoming an ISA. So that really, really produced the resources that we needed to actually do the development. Um, and uh, we did that for a couple of years. After a couple of years, we were pretty much uh, on that reoccurring model. Uh, that really pushed us to, to turn our, our, our POS into a SAS model and uh, essentially uh, have resources, have money to put into these additional projects. And one of the projects being our own software. So, um, so definitely the, the the resources need to be there. Um, but it's it's one of those things that you slowly build up, and you you will get there. This wasn't an overnight thing for us, at least. But it seems like the ISO model was more of an injection for you, where it immediately got you on that recurring revenue business model. Not that the cash piled up, you know, that first month, but it was faster than trying to sell a point of sale system on a monthly basis am i understanding that correctly like there was only one way to do it and it was built right in there right yeah so well it, it, um from being a, a a referral partner to becoming an agent to becoming an iso the, those those three transitions there where we were just seeing that reoccurring revenue just grow 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 um and so you know we it just naturally turned into hey why can't everything be reoccurring i mean it helps the help desk there's no more, are they under service contracts? Are they under warranty? There's, if, if a client calls in, they're going to be under, uh, they're going to be on a, on a SAS model. And if a technician needs to be uh, sent out, a field tech needs to be sent out, we send them out. So it actually reduces a lot of overhead in the office as well. So this whole reoccurring model, it just, there's so many aspects to it. It just makes sense. It makes sense to go that route. Got it. I like how you outlined that. You went from what referral to agent to ISO to VAR, to ISV, right? You have a, a ring for every finger there. If, uh, they were handing those out <laughs> for every different business model that you had. So kudos for making that transition. Well, let's pause here for a moment to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. The RSP recently expanded its uh, VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. 
Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, sales coach, and a VAR and ISV business advisor, which both Brett and Danny know of already. They've talked about the services that RSP uh, offers. And so all those services and benefits are included in your annual RSP membership, which a reseller starts at just $250 a year. That's 68 cents a day for these high value services. Without an RSP membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel, or you'll end up going it alone during these turbulent times in our industry. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, thank you to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, ScanSource, and Shift4 Payments. To receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. Again, that's membership at gorspa.org. And finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2020, August 2nd through 5th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Retail Now is where the industry meets. All right. Well, thank you for uh, pausing for that commercial. Now, let me ask you this, and starting uh, with you, Brett, you and Danny are both veterans of the POS channel, and have you experienced the highs and lows of you've seen companies come and go. And so can you talk about the future for POS resellers who don't develop their own IP? We talked about your challenges, but we didn't, uh, of having that IP, we didn't talk about what if you didn't. So if you didn't have your own software, what actions would you be taking to ensure that your business is as strong as it can be three, five, 10 years from now? Or do you see that IP is vital to any reseller's success? What's your take on that? Uh, thanks, yeah. I, I think, well, first of all, the, the point is the POS channel is uh, has been changing. It's been transitioning. And I don't think it's even, you know, 10% into the changes that are that are going to occur. So I think those those changes are still very much in transition. Um, you know, I think that there's still a huge move to uh, what we used to call mobile products, mobile OS, mobile platforms. Um, I don't think they're mobile anymore. You know, you look out there and, and Android and iOS and, you know, kind of uh, smaller uh OSs are sitting on all kinds of different platforms, and I think there's a huge transition there uh, that's still going to happen and is is even gaining momentum today. I also believe that payments um, and the point of sale are going to continue to morph and they're going to continue to merge. Um, I think that you know payments become less of a process like they have been in the past and more of the transaction. I think that they become so much more tighter involved. Um, so I believe that the a traditional VAR um, is definitely going to need to make some changes. If if they're not going to move towards an ISV, you know, bring in some of their own um, their own IP, then I, I think that they need to take the steps necessary to move to a monthly income, to move this to subscriptions to the as a service uh, type uh, opportunity. I think that there's organizations like like ours um, and and many others who are ISVs or who are offering different products, who are willing to help in that transition, willing to you know, um, work with them and see what there is that that's gonna better meet their needs so that they can survive through that transition. It's not easy, it takes some time, um, but it's absolutely possible. Um, you know, Danny's done it, uh, we've been able to do it and, and many of our other peers I've talked to have done it. Um, and there's the support of the RSPA as well to get that done. But I do believe that that's a critical piece 
for the traditional var to move that direction and add that value to their to their mix. Let me ask a hypothetical question for you. So hypotheticals are always unfair to some degree. What if you didn't have the ISV component, you didn't have the recurring revenue component, and you and Mike, your partner, uh, you talked to him and said, we should shift to that. And he was like, nah, we're not going to do it. So you guys didn't do it. Then what? Like what would happen to a business like yours who didn't make the transition? Like you're saying it's critical. Is it like you won't be around or you just won't enjoy as many profits? I guess what's your, your take on that? I'm curious to what degree you see the vitality of the importance of, the, of that as part of your business model. Sure. Well, I think we've seen it in the the POS channel. Um, those who, you know, started to make this change over the last 10 years, five years, three years, two years, um, that they're in the process and they're, they're succeeding in that process of transition. Uh, those that weren't willing to, um, honestly, most of them are either working for one of those companies, they were, you know, merged together, or, you know, they're, they're in a very small market and working with a smaller customer base, which is great. It's just, you know, where do you want to go and what do you want to do? Uh, I honestly, for our business, if, you know, Mike and I sat down to make that dis decision and, and have that discussion, it would be a discussion of, are we going to move forward or are we going to go do something else? Uh, because that, that's the way I think it is. I don't, uh, I, I think it would be a very difficult market right now in the traditional VAR space. Got it. Thank you for, for sharing that. Danny, uh, can you share your take in terms of the future of POS resellers if they don't develop their own IP? Again, I asked a hypothetical, like what if you were in that spot? But then also, if you were in the spot and you wanted to make uh, some moves and changes to your business to stay relevant 10 years from now, what would you be doing? What specifics can you share with our audience? The, the, the first thing I would do is, is become a, a non-registered ISO. Um, and uh, that will just change everything. That reoccurring uh, revenue is going to start coming in. Uh, once, once you do that, you build up your revenue. Um, it's going to create those resources that you need to, to really uh, be independent of these, uh, of these uh, uh, um, vendors, I guess, that maybe want to uh, take you in a certain direction. Um, I've always been an against the grain kind of person, so I, that independence to me was very important. And so um, uh, at one of the RSPA conferences, I was uh, fortunate enough to meet another dealer that went through the whole ISO process and really pushed me in that direction. And uh, yeah, definitely it makes the biggest difference. Uh, again, without us becoming an ISO, I, we wouldn't have the resources to go uh, uh, pursue those other opportunities that we're pursuing now. Got it. So that would be your advice for somebody to become an ISO. What if somebody didn't? What if, uh, like, I remember talking to a reseller one time. I don't remember their name. Um, they were just passing at a retail now. And we we're talking about the shift to the recurring revenue business models like four years ago. And he was like, I sell cash registers. I sell point of sale. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Like, what, I guess, is your take on that? Do you see that as, like, what Brett said? Hey, you'll just have a small piece of pie that you'll be able to watch over. Do you see that person being able to stay relevant or is it going to be a big struggle for them? What's your take on that? It's going to be a big struggle. Just everybody in payments now is in the POS uh, industry. So either you're in payments yourself as a VAR 
uh, or they're gonna they're gonna be able to take over that that portion. Um, unfortunately, POS isn't as uh, as it was, you know, 10 years ago. Now there's a lot of different options. A lot of ISOs have their own software. Um, the 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 leverage that we have as POS bars is that we do have that technical side. I think that's where where they're lacking, and and so you need to leverage that, uh, but along with the payments. Got it. Thank you for that. And you bring up the point about being an ISO. Uh, late last year, I was at a uh, Toshiba had an event down in Austin. And a reseller, you know, flew in and uh, I asked him how he was doing, how his business was going. He said how the ISO model has really changed his business. And he leaned into me and said, I started four years ago. If I had done it 10 years ago, I'd have flown here on my own private jet. Like it is that <laughs> lucrative uh, for me. So I really appreciate him uh, sharing that. I guess he, uh, he agrees with you, Danny. So uh, well, let me ask you this. We've talked about the flexibility you both have uh, with your own intellectual property. So where do you plan to go from here? Um, you know, ISVs can literally write their own future. So what do you plan to do with that ability? I guess Brett first and then Danny. Yeah, so um, we we are continually developing our current product mix. Um, so we have kind of an enterprise type solution now. Um, this this year, over the next couple of months, we're going to be introducing a kind of a, an entry level uh, product as well. So um, I guess bottom line is we are continuing to develop. We're, we're taking the opportunity. Uh, business has been good. So we're putting that in directly back into the business, coming up with some additional products, um, new integrations, new, you know, new offerings. Um, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Danny on the payments front. Um, and, and payments are a huge part of our business as well. Um, we don't talk about it a lot because uh, it sits there in the back and runs, but it is tremendous. And, and you know, that's another area of our business that we're continually growing. Um, and, and we expect a lot of growth there this year as well. So all those things combined and continuing to push forward on, um, on our own, own products. Got it. Okay. Thank you. And Danny, where do you go from here? Uh, what uh, do you see around the corner for global and for yourself uh, running global? Well, same thing. We're going to continue developing our solution, really laser focus on, on the grocery space, uh, continue developing those uh, vendor or, or third-party integrations. Um, that's really what we're planning on this year is, is really building up on those integrations that we have going now. Got it. And this seems to go back to what you guys said earlier, focus, focus, focus. Like neither one of you said, we're going to try this. We're going to try this. Like you were like, the path that we are on, we are going to keep going. So uh, I'm, I guess I'm glad you're clearly staying true to your work. <laughs> I couldn't distract, couldn't distract you over the last half hour. Last two questions for you. And Danny, if you could take this first for the grocery and C-store vertical and then Brett for retail. And we've touched on this a little bit. But I'm curious, what technologies will you be keeping an eye on? So again, Danny, first for grocery and C-store. What are some of the technologies you'll be really paying attention to? Uh, I think uh, the uh, third-party delivery services. So I, I know in, in QSR and in restaurant, I mean, that's been going on for some time now, but we're actually seeing it now in, in grocery. Uh, so a lot of people want to go to a website and just have those list of items that they normally use on a weekly basis, just add them into a shopping cart and have them delivered. Um, so that's something that we're keeping a close eye on. You're already seeing a couple of grocery stores uh, in the area that are actually uh, taking advantage of that technology. Um, and I think it is the future. I think uh, I do see a lot of 
uh, um, customers going on a website or on a mobile app, uh, ordering their groceries and either going by to pick them up at the curb or having them de delivered directly to their store, to their to their door. Got it. I was in a Whole Foods outside of Pittsburgh recently, and there almost seemed to be as many customers as there were the people walking around with the uh, or with their carts and the uh, the brown bags and going over the list for for folks. One thing I found interesting, and so Dan, I'm curious if you can give any insight on this. I asked one of them, like, is that list that you have in order of the way that the store is laid out? And he was like no this is a wild goose chase every single time we have to do it because i saw them zigzagging all over the store like why is that why in 2020 is that solution not in place yet or is that just a whole foods thing that they're going to be figuring out at some point in the future or is that something you're working on and maybe you shouldn't tell anybody <laughs> that is actually something that we have uh, we we have a solution for i should say so oh, really? one of the things that that always comes up with stocking right so the efficiency of, of being able to stock the item uh, much faster, or when you're tagging, uh, you're changing those, those shelf tags, you want to make it as efficient as possible. Um, and so you want to print them in a certain order. Well, because we already have that, uh, that functionality in the software, we're able to leverage that for the, for the third-party pickups. But yeah, definitely that is, that is one of the things that we, we're considering. Got it, right. I thought I'm like at the peak of, uh, you know, Whole Foods is like the top, you know, grocery considered, and then Amazon and all the technology, and here they are running around with the lists all over the store. So, like you're back in the Stone Age. Uh, Brett, uh, you mentioned, you know, from a mobility standpoint, uh, some technologies we're watching for retail. What else? What other things uh, should retail VARs keep an eye on and retail ISVs? Sure, sure. We, so, we're keeping an eye on payments and customer loyalty um, and, and kind of the – the way that those things are are changing and also kind of merging together. Um, most of our customers, especially on the higher end, are really investigating new and better ways to allow their customers to pay, allow their customers to have loyalty discounts, you know, wh whatever they can do to get that customer back over and over and over again. And when you're talking specialty retail, um, it can A, be a challenge, and B, you know, if you can get them back over and over again, it can be very, very lucrative for them. So those are two things that we're keeping an eye on and working on and uh, working with partners on. Got it. Great. Very interesting. The last question that we ask all our guests here on the Trusted Advisor podcast, start with you, Brett. Can you recommend for our audience a book to read or a podcast to listen to that would help them on their leadership journey? Brett first and then Danny. Sure. Um, in thinking about this, the, the big change in going from VAR to ISV, um, a book that I, I finished not long ago was um, How to Fight a Hydra by Josh Kaufman. And it's actually fairly short. Um, and it literally is a guide on successfully fighting a hydra. And then he turns that into uh, how to attack. Say that again? What, what is that last word? H-Y-D-R-A, the multi-headed monster uh, oh, from, right. from uh, Greek myth. Uh, and so basically he talks how to fight a Hydra, but he turns it into, um, you know, how to attack a big project or how to attack a big challenge and how to succeed. And it turns into a really fun but also inspiring uh, read. 
Got it. Very good. So how to fight a hydra. I'm I'm not so up on my Greek mythology, and I have a 14-year-old daughter, so I'm more along the lines of how to train your dragon uh, than I are to how to, how to fight your hydra, but I, I appreciate that. Uh, Danny, a book, podcast, a resource that you recommend uh, for the VARs and ISVs listening today? I think one of the a, a good book is that's re- very relevant to today's conversation is uh, Who Moved My Cheese, right? Transitioning VARs, transitioning over uh, to a uh, PASS or SAS model. Uh, I think that book is really uh, relevant to that. Got it. Very good. All right. How, how to Fight a Hydra and Who Moved My Cheese? I will add those uh, to my reading list. So, well, that's all the time that we have for today. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The more stars, the better. That's my philosophy. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the Point of Sale channel, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again very much to Danny and Brett for sharing their wisdom with us today. Gentlemen, that was excellent uh, information. Also, thanks to RSP Marcom Manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks again for listening and watching, and goodbye, everybody. 